Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Just in case you missed or maybe you don't get information from the church, uh, this last week in the uh, church newsletter, uh, uh, a letter from Ross and Judy was in there and uh, Ross was talking about his retirement in August. So if you're not aware of that, uh, Ross is gonna be retiring after a long time serving here uh, in August. And so we want to celebrate and rejoice in what God has done in and through him. Um, we're not going to do that today. Um, we're going to do that closer to when he retires. And he and Judy are going to take some time to um, kind of rest and renew and then see what God has for them here um, as a next assignment chapter in their life. Um, this morning, we are jumping back into the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to go over to uh, chapter 11. We'll start reading in verse 19. But I want to do a little bit of a review. Um, it's, it's fitting that chapter 11, verse 19 itself kind of points us back and reminds us of, of what's happened. But back in chapter 7, we have Stephen who is proclaiming the word of God. And there are people who don't like the word of God. They don't like Jesus. And so... They come up against him, and we, we walked through that story a while ago, and Stephen is stoned, and then, as young Saul watches and approves of the stoning of Stephen, then there breaks out some persecution in the church in Jerusalem, and what happens is in chapter 8, then we read that there were believers living in Jerusalem that were scattered and went to different places around the empire. So the timeline between what we're about to read today and when Stephen was stoned, Stephen was stoned around 34, 35 AD. And uh, here in, in Acts 11, verse 19, where we pick up is roughly somewhere between 39 and 41 AD. So there's like five or six years after believers were scattered from Jerusalem during that persecution. So we've gone, about five or six years has passed. And, and, and so really what we see in Acts, particularly today, but we see it thematically throughout Acts, is a particular model of faith that Luke presents us. And that model of faith in Acts is to go with the flow of God and follow what the Spirit is doing in the world. That is not our way of functioning, is it? <laughs> Go with the flow of God and follow what the Spirit is doing in the world. Like, I think our default setting, and maybe not, maybe not yours, I don't know, but, but if you are a normal person in our culture, your default setting is that I make plans and I invite Jesus into my plans. <laughs> But what Acts presents is that God moves and we go with what he does and we find where the spirit is working and we join him in that work. 
And, and here this morning, what, what is this incredible picture that is painted is there is this divine gathering of lives that cross ethnicities into the, the life of the Messiah. There's a new family of Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles because of and in Jesus that we get to see this morning. And there's some things that I have not caught before in this passage that I am super excited about because it just absolutely blows my mind. Acts 1.8, Jesus, Jesus says something to his disciples. He says, wait here and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. What we see today is almost is like a, an outworking of what Jesus said that his people will do. What we see this morning is a picture and, and really the, the, the flow of what God is doing and how Jesus calling to his people is being carried out. Here's the thing that I am not a fan of God about. God, here's the thing, how God tends to accomplish his work is often not how we envision him doing it. Anybody relate to that? How God accomplishes work is often not how I envision it happening. Like, I have so many plans that are so much better than God's plans. Like, I just, I, if God would only ask, I would be more than happy to give him a better way. But, but God does things in ways that we don't necessarily anticipate him doing it or envisioning him doing it. Like, here's the example. Let's go back to Acts 7 and 8. And, and what we see is, is Jesus says earlier on, he says, here's the thing. You wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power and you'll be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. And, and so somehow God's like saying, and here's how this is going to work out. Let me, let me look at it this way. So here's how the nations are gonna know that Jesus is Lord. So Sarah loves me and she is committed to, to, to me and not me, but Jesus. Um, sorry, I'll, Sarah loves Jesus and she's committed to Jesus. <laughs> that got awkward really quick. Um, and, and, and so... Like she's all about Jesus. And so, so what's gonna happen is she's gonna preach Jesus and she's gonna be killed. And then we're gonna be persecuted and we're gonna be scattered all over and, and we're gonna take Jesus with us and that's how the nations are gonna know. Like how many people are like, that's a cool plan. I like that plan. Like probably Sarah, both of you probably are like, yeah, that's not the best plan. That's like, like what we were hoping for our marriage. And so, so like, that's not a great plan. But literally, in Jerusalem, Stephen preaches the word and he gets killed. He gets martyred. And then the believers are persecuted and they scatter. And that was how the spirit was working the mandate that Jesus gave the church. That is not what we anticipated. But that's what happened. And God didn't stop it. And the word went out. And we get to see today what God did through that. And so in, 
In Acts chapter 11, verse, verse 19, here's, here's what, we, what we read. And I'm gonna read a few verses and then we're gonna kind of stop and, and look at them. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so five to six years ago, those people were scattered and they, they went out. And it says that they spoke to no one except Jews. But that's a general summarization because that's not exactly all that happened. Because in verse 20 it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist Gentiles also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, so, so here's, here's what's happening. Actually, let me ask this question. When did the gospel go out to the Gentiles? When did the gospel go out to the Gentiles? And, and I think for, for many of us, it's, it, if, you, if you think about the, the, the timeline of Acts, you think of, of like when, well, maybe when Philip encountered the Ethiopian eunuch and he explained the word of God to him. Maybe that was, was that when the gospel went out to the Gentiles or, or, or maybe in chapter 10 where Peter, the apostle Peter goes out to Cornelius's house and kind of there's this official movement within the Jerusalem church and the, the council that set that up that, that they're kind of like, yeah, okay, so let's talk about the Gentiles being part of this, this way that we follow Jesus that, that it was kind of Peter who maybe broke, that, broke into the Gentile world and brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Maybe it was the apostle Paul eventually who, who takes, who's the, who's, who's the apostle to the Gentiles. What's interesting is that oftentimes we, we tend to think that God's big guns do God's big works. Like that Peter was the one, Peter, the apostle Peter, the one who Jesus says, upon the confession that you made, that's how I'm going to build my church. That Peter's the one who actually opened the door through the power of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, but that's not true at all. It's not how God chose to work and bring in, graft in to the family, to the kingdom, the Gentiles. Because the reality is this, at the time of the persecution that scattered the believers in Jerusalem, which was just a few months after Pentecost, those believers, Jewish believers, went out. And six years later, there's a, a large, flourishing Gentile church in the third largest city in the empire, Antioch. There was no apostle who went there. There was no big name who had a rally in Antioch. Here's what's awesome. The gospel went out to the Gentiles quietly and discreetly, carried by obscure, unknown men and women. We don't know any of their names. But we do know that they were persecuted and they were scattered. They were experiencing persecution in Jerusalem and they ran out of Jerusalem to places like Cyprus, into Phoenicia, into Antioch. They were Jews who had become Jesus followers and they took 
Jesus seriously. And where they went, even though they were battered and bruised and afraid, they made disciples. Like, how does that hit you? One of the most significant movements in gospel history was was the gospel of Jesus Christ being taken to the Jews and it wasn't taken, I mean, taken to the Gentiles and it wasn't taken by one of the big guns. It was taken by people that you will never know their names. There's nothing recorded about them. In fact, the church in Jerusalem didn't even know this was happening until five or six years later. And there was this flourishing community of Gentiles who were loving Jesus and following him and spreading the gospel. Like that's, that's incredible. We tend to think that God uses really important people to do God's really important work. God uses unknown, obscure people to do his most significant work. And so, so no one has an excuse to say, you know what, I don't need to be making disciples because I'm not known or I'm not important. I don't have influence. Let me ask you this. Have you had a hard day? Have you been scattered? Have you felt like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time? Well, then you're, maybe you fall among those people who actually broke the good news to the Gentiles. You see, there were no earthly headlines. There wasn't even a, a blurb in the Jerusalem church. It was just the applause of heaven in light of their faithfulness. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that these Jew, Jews who followed Jesus lived in the place that was their city, Jerusalem, and things started changing and they started getting persecuted and they fled from their, their place where they were most comfortable and they went to places like Antioch, which, which had all of, all of the worst of the worst things that the Roman Empire were known for. It was also a big thriving metrop- metropolitan city but they went to a place where they weren't with their people. They were with ethnicities that they were actually at war with. Basically, that, that the Gentiles believed that the Jews were dogs and worthless. So they go, they move, they scatter. They go from a place that used to be their home that they no longer felt safe because they were persecuted. And they go to this place and they take the word of Jesus with them. And there is born a church that we'll see in a minute that is on fire for Jesus. And there's a trend in the church today that's kind of like that, but very, very different. And understand, I'm not saying that everyone does this because there's lots of reasons that people relocate. But there's a trend in the church today that people leave the place they've lived because they're no longer comfortable there or they feel some degree of tension and they move to a place where they're more comfortable and people are more like them. And I wonder 
if they take Jesus with them. And I wonder to whom they're taking Jesus. Because what we see in Acts is not people going to a place of greater affinity and comfort, but a place of great harvest. And I just wonder, I wonder where our heads are and where our hearts are. And I'm not saying that everybody does that. But that's kind of a thing. And so then we, we, we move through and we move on in, in verse 22. It says this, the report of this, this church in Antioch came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, Talk about like a little slow on the uptake. Like the Jerusalem church, six years later, all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's this huge church in Antioch. We didn't even know. <laughs> and wait, what? It's full of Gentiles? Like that blows our mind. So, so these, these people who are the official face of, of Christianity in, in, the, in, the, in the first century who have this, this, this board of directors of the Jerusalem church, uh, you know, maybe a, a council, the Jewish council in, in, in the, the Jerusalem council. And so, so they're here. And so they say, okay, so we heard that something's going on in Antioch and all these Gentiles are following Jesus. How can that be? And so they're like, okay, I, and I just wonder, like, of the conversation, they're like, Peter, did you, like, swing by Antioch on your way to Cornelius's house? Did you, did you approve this? Like, who, who traveled unapproved to Antioch? I don't know. But so they're talking, and so they say, okay, Barnabas, why don't you go to Antioch and you find out what's going on there? They send Barnabas to investigate. And I think it's funny because I feel like Barnabas gets all the jobs no one else wants because he's that guy who's like, I'll do it. And so, and so like they, you know, he's the one who ends up standing up for Saul uh, in Jerusalem, basically taking the opposite side of all the, the apostles and the leaders. And now they're like, something weird's going on in Antioch. We don't know what we're going to find there. Let's send Barnabas because he never says no. And he's always like, yeah, I'll go. I'm happy. I'm encouraging. And I even called the son of encouragement. Let's not send the son of thunder because he'll get angry. But, but so, so, so we go and, and, and so they send Barnabas. And here's what's interesting. And this is part of our human nature and the process of transformation in our lives with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is like a great river that cuts through wherever it wishes. When you think about some of the great rivers of our planet, what you see, especially if you see aerial photos, that they go where they want. Rocks don't stop them. Barriers don't stop them. The sheer force of water over time cuts through anything. 
and it goes where it wants. And, and the Holy Spirit is like a great river and he cuts through wherever he wishes, whether we think that it's a good idea or bad idea, whether we started it or whether we approve of it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now often, probably like the temptation and what we see even in Acts of the early church leaders, we think of ourselves as flood control experts. <laughs> Where we, we like to build a channel to control the Holy Spirit and say, okay, come river of God, just flow in the channel that I built for you. <laughs> because if you go outside of that channel, it's gonna be uncomfortable and it's not really what I'm used to. And I grew up in this tradition and it just, I don't know, I, I just, if you could flow right here in this channel I built, that would be awesome. But you know what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit? Jesus says that the Spirit is like the wind. Have we ever been able to control the wind? <laughs> he says the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And he says that, that the wind blows and no one knows where it comes from or where it's going. And he says, the Holy Spirit is like that wind and he blows where he wishes. No one can tell where he comes from or where he's going. That's another thing that I'm not a big fan of about Jesus. I would like to know exactly where the Spirit is going. I would like a heads up. But Jesus himself says, you don't know where he's going. And so there's this thing that, that if we are going to be with the Spirit, if we're going to be obeying Jesus, then we need to be riding on the wind of the Spirit wherever He takes us. And it may not be where we want to go. And here's the thing. Not everyone who believes in Jesus is ready for the Spirit's newness. Not everyone who follows the Savior is comfortable to join the unanticipated places of the Spirit's work. But some are. Some are ready for that. And the ones who are ready for that are the ones who have realized that surrender is the only viable option. And they've surrendered to the Spirit and said, you know what? I'm not in control. I want to obey Jesus. I want to be like Jesus and I want to be ready for his return. And so I'm surrendering and wherever the spirit goes, that's where I'm going to go. And I'm going to surrender to that. Those are the people who are ready for the newness. Those are the people who are ready to participate in the unanticipated places of the spirit's work. And so Barnabas was one of those guys. <laughs> we see Barnabas over and over riding on the wind of the spirit and dropping and starting fires where he drops. <laughs> and, and so they send Barnabas and uh, it says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And I think if we just tease those out a little bit, a good man has to do with his character and his disposition he was a guy who we see over and over. He was easygoing, cheerful, open-handed, and gracious. He was the guy who they always sent. He was their, he was their best face forward. <laughs> and it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Basically, if you read full of the Holy Spirit, honestly, that just simply means he was constantly surrendered. 
constantly surrendered. If you wanna be full of the Holy Spirit, you are constantly surrendered. That's how you're full of the Holy Spirit. And then it says he was full of faith, which simply just means that he was obedient. He was acting on what God said. And so they sent Barnabas. And what's wild is that it says that he got to Antioch. He's there on the ground and he sees this Gentile church flourishing. They've had no teachers. They've had no, they've had no, no books that they've read. They've had no seminaries. They've had no Bible schools. They don't even have like a, a Christian preschool in the area. And here, this flourishing Gentile church is happening in Antioch. And what is Barnabas's response? He was glad and he rejoiced. And that's, that's a confronting thing because is my default setting when I hear about something the Spirit might be doing, is my default setting to be glad and rejoice or is it to be critical or question or control what's happening? Because that's our, ah, that is in our nature. I don't know if you've heard anything about vertigo this past week, but the Spirit did some pretty awesome things. In fact, people telling stories about it, you might hear in the story some things that you like are a little uncomfortable with. Is your first instinct to rejoice in what God did or to say, well, I, let's talk about this a bit. I mean, I'm sure there were some good things, but maybe let's, maybe something was out of control. Barnabas rejoiced and was glad. In fact, he was so excited. He, he, not, he not only was excited about what, what happened, was he was like, I know someone who would love what's happening here. I'm gonna go get Saul from Tarsus. He's been waiting in Tarsus for years. I'm gonna go get him because he's gonna be excited about this. How often do we run into something the Spirit's doing and we're like, I know somebody who would love this and I need to let them know because I know they wanna be a part of it. How, how often are we like just throw, throw caution to the wind and are like, hey, come over here and see what God's doing? Or are we kind of like, okay, I don't know. We're gonna figure this out first. We're gonna make sure it's genuine. And then I'll, I'll ask people to come over. But Barnabas is like, man, Saul is a guy who would love what's happening here. <laughs> and so Barnabas comes alongside and calls up Saul to join the work of the Spirit and says that they stayed there and they joined in and they became a part of what God was doing and they did everything they could. They leveraged what they had and what God had given them and they helped people move forward in their relationships with Jesus Christ. So then verse 27. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. Just a note there, it's interesting that every historian corroborates this particular thing in, in history, in, in what's said in Acts, this famine during the reign of Claudius. Um, it's kind of interesting to see, again, um, 
the veracity of the New Testament. But, but anyway, so it says, this took place in the, in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, who are the disciples that are determining? Not those who were with Jesus, not the apostles. The disciples determined are the Gentile disciples who are part of the church in Antioch. That's what we're talking about here. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. You know how I know? That the work of the Spirit was genuine in Antioch among the Gentiles? Because of this. That's how I know it was the Spirit of God. Absolutely. So here, what, what happens is there's these people with prophetic gifts come down from Jerusalem to uh, Antioch. One of them, a guy by the name of Agabus, um, and he's given a foretelling is not the primary role of the prophetic gift. Um, but Agabus had this information that the Spirit gave him about a famine coming. And just to clarify, prophetic gifts are not primarily future telling, but they are speaking by the Spirit where the church must be active. And that's what Agabus was doing. He was saying the church, this church, this Antioch church must be active in this area because this is coming and God wants you to participate in bringing relief to suffering that is inevitably going to come. So, so basically he's saying that, that you're being called to relief and care for suffering brothers and sisters who are different ethnically than you because you're all Gentiles and they're Jews that you've never even met in Jerusalem. But you're the same family because of the blood of the lamb. And they are as much your family as your son, daughter, and your husband or your wife. And, 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 so, and so the thing that we have to recognize about this, that, that if, if someone has a prophetic gift through the Spirit, it's very similar as a teaching gift. If a person is a teacher, then they are called to teach the Word of God. But are teachers fallible? Do they make mistakes? Do they sometimes teach wrong? Absolutely. In the same way that someone with a prophetic gift is not can be wrong, absolutely, and, and there are moments where they point the church to action, which is action that God does not want them to take. That's why we test the gifts. That's why we don't just take anything without comparing it to the word of God and what God has said that we have right here. Because any spiritual gift, the gift of helps can be misused <laughs> and begin to misalign us with the message and the, 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 the mission of God. But here's the thing. The Spirit uses prophets to point the church toward divine concerns, fleshing out the prayer and desires of Jesus alone in this age. And a church that knows not the divine concerns of Jesus is a church that has not heard the Spirit speaking. This Jesus-defined community self-sacrifices on behalf of a family they've not met solely on the grounds of their connection with Christ. Like, that's awesome. That's incredible. 
So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Acts 1.8, Jesus says, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you with power and you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Here's the things that I think we need to hear and recognize this morning. We need to take seriously and we need to obey because it's the word of God. You are Christ's witnesses. You might even be obscure and unknown men and women who carry the name and love of Jesus to whomever you are in contact with, regardless of your situation. Because frankly, what we learned from Acts 11 is persecution is not an excuse for perseverance. (laughs) We keep going, even if it's in persecution. And what can happen? A church can be born in a place where they where people thought there was no church or no faith or no salvation. And, and one of the things that, that really hit me as, a, as an image, um, just like persecution did not put out the fire in the hearts of those Jews who loved Jesus and were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, the Spirit is that wind and we are like embers that are being carried on that wind And the Spirit drops us at the places He intends for us to serve and impact. And as we're carried on the Spirit, we're dropped. And when we land, we start fires. We start those spot fires. Because we're coming from the the fire of the Holy Spirit. And He's taking us on His wind. And He drops us. And we go and we ignite the land around us just like those Jewish believers did as they were dropped in Cyprus and Cyrene and Antioch. And those little spot fires of those embers dropping into those places spread and welcomed in the Gentiles into the kingdom of God and grafted them together so that there was one family of God made of all people and broke down the barriers that were between them. See, our effectiveness will be the result of our willingness to join the Spirit. The danger is that we may attempt to control the Spirit. And I think there's a really simple test to determine whether or not you're joining the Spirit or controlling the Spirit. Is your reaction to hearing what the Spirit is doing, rejoicing and being glad, or is it something else? Because I think if it's rejoicing and being glad, and I think that might mean that you're just there to join the Spirit. And then finally, this you, the question is this, are you, am I aligned with the concerns of Jesus, which is redemption of the lost, even at the death of self, or have you been distracted with lesser things? As I was going through this passage and and coming to this morning, I just, man, I was kind of overwhelmed by what this says because this gives us a picture of how the Spirit moves, how unexpectedly He moves, that the people that He uses, just to realize that, that He used nobodies for one of God's greatest works in history to welcome in the Gentiles to the family of God. 
He used unknown people like you and I. We don't need celebrity Christian leaders. We don't need popular, well-known people who claim to follow Jesus. The most significant works that God does is through those who you will never hear their names because they're simply being faithful. And where the wind of the Spirit drops them, they ignite that place with the love and the grace and the word of God. I'm gonna invite Travis to come back up and, and as we worship, here's, here's, you can sing, but here's the thing. God is doing a work, the Spirit is moving and, and, and some are listening, some are hearing. But this morning, I don't know if you saw yourself described in this text. Maybe you're someone who hears what the Spirit is doing and you're a skeptic. You don't respond with rejoicing. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and, 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 and you're just, you're kind of maybe stuck or in a place where you just don't know that you could be like Barnabas. <laughs> Or you don't know that in whatever difficulty you're facing today, you're like, I don't know if I can really persevere to keep Jesus front and center. And so maybe this morning there's some repenting that needs to happen. Because repentance always precedes the work of the Spirit. And frankly, I know for a fact that there's some reconciling that needs to happen. I know people in this church who because of their arrogance and pride are at odds with each other and need to reconcile. And I know that's a hard word. But it's not my word. It's Jesus' word. How can we be his witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world if we can't even witness his grace and love to one another? I think some of us here this morning just need to let loose and rejoice because of what God's doing. Last week I said that the, the prize of surrender is revelation. Maybe some of us this morning just need to say, we're already at that place and we're kind of like, God, I am all yours. I just want to know my next step. I don't need to know everything, but I just want to know what my next step is. So maybe during this time, maybe you need to get up, walk out of this place and go straight to a person who you need to reconcile with. Maybe that person's in this room. Maybe you need to get on your knees and repent for whatever the Spirit is prompting you right now. Maybe you just rejoice this morning. Maybe you know someone who needs revelation in their life and you need to get up and go over and pray with them. I don't know what that looks like. But as we worship and we sing, don't keep the Spirit in the channel that you've dug. the Spirit guide you. So over the next few minutes as we worship and we reflect, 
Obey. Do what the Spirit's leading you to do. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.